0: if there's a song on the radio, because it's on the radio or because it's at the top of the charts, isn't a reason to ignore it. Part of my own journey to figure out how to do meaningful worship is to look at other denominations, look at other styles of worship, and look at pop music or even other cultural settings and say, what here is speaking to people and how do we do that in our context in a way that's authentic?
1: Hi, this is Aisha Hauser. I'm a minister at the Church of the Larger Fellowship, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. Hope it builds your faith. Hope it gives you perspective to experience the power of Unitarian Universalism at work in your life. Enjoy the message.
2: Hi, welcome friends. Welcome to another episode of the Church of the Larger Fellowship's View, Voices for Unitarian Universalism. We are so excited that you are here. My name is Christina Rivet, she, her pronouns, and I am one of the co-leads of the Church of the Larger Fellowship on the lead ministry team. And we are excited today to have guests from Sanctuary Boston. We will get into that a little bit. um, But first, our co-hosts will introduce themselves. I'm coming to you from beautiful Central Virginia. Don, how you doing? (laughs)
3: I am well. I'm here in lovely South Jersey. Things here are doing okay. And we're going to welcome back one of our regular guest hosts, Kiana Dene. How are you doing this morning?
1: Good morning. I am in the Midwest. I'm in Michigan. <laughs> Who's with us today? So today
2: we have some folks joining us from Sanctuary Boston. Whoop, whoop. We've got Matt Meyer, he, his pronouns, and Karishma Gottfried. Karishma is an emerging adult and a religion major at Wesley College. Wesley. And she coordinates Sanctuary Boston's campus ministry. They are tremendously lucky to have her doing that which serves students and the larger sanctuary community in the greater Boston area and beyond. She's in the early stages of preparing for Unitarian Universalist ordination, and in her free time loves to play guitar, drink tea, and read about queer theology. I love it. If you haven't checked out some of her guitar YouTubes, you should. And Matt Meyer is joining us, Director of Operations and Community Life for Sanctuary Boston. He also works professionally as an itinerant UU musician and worship leader. We are so lucky for that. Having led hundreds of services for UU congregations around the country, Matt was raised Unitarian Universalist and was and is an active young adult leader for many years, including working a campus ministry trainer for the UU Association. Welcome to Matt and Kadeeshma Carey! Yay! So good to be with you all.
0: Thank you so
2: much for having us. So, you know, the first basic question is, what is Sanctuary Boston? Can one of you kind of lead us through how it started and what it is today?
0: Yeah, Sanctuary Boston is coming up on our 10th anniversary, our 10th birthday next fall. And it was started by musicians and mostly UU seminarians in Boston who were invested in the message of Unitarian Universalism but wanted to create a kind of worship that was more embodied, more grounded in music and ritual. Some of us had experienced that kind of emotional, heart-centered worship in other spaces, sometimes in evangelical churches or other denominations, but we wanted that kind of experience with the UU theology that was also so central to us. So it created to create this different kind of way of gathering for Unitarian Universalist worship, contemporary worship. It's led by a band and it's a multi vocal worship. So we have, I don't know, a dozen worship leaders for every gathering that we do. And it's just been such a joy. I've been in my role as the Director of Operations and Community Life for seven out of the 10 years now. And it's just been such a joy to see the community grow and find its identity and continue to offer vibrant worship and real connection. And in addition to worship, we also do small groups and, and other programs as well. So this year we're launching this campus ministry program for the Boston area that's been particularly exciting.
3: Do you have
0: anything to add about that, Karishma of Sanctuary in general?
4: I think that's a great description. I had heard about Sanctuary Boston when I was in high school back in Oregon, and when I decided that I was going to be moving to Boston for college, I knew immediately that I wanted to be involved with Sanctuary because I just heard such amazing things. So I started going, I think, probably the second month I had moved to Boston and when I was my first year at college, and I haven't stopped going since.
2: I think one of the things I really want folks to key in on at the beginning of, of us talking about some is something that they, I think you hit on at the beginning of what you introduced, but is for me, at least, the way I experience Sanctuary Boston is so radically different and important. And it's that that area around it being founded primarily by musicians and how that flavors everything that I experienced through Sanctuary Boston. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about about that founding and and really how that came to be because the way I experienced Sanctuary Boston so deeply has a lot Mm -hmm. to do with music.
0: I could talk for hours about music and worship and and what I've learned from being a part of the Sanctuary Boston worship team. Yeah, at our very first meeting of the planning team, we talked about what is, what is the feeling we're aiming for, what is the experience we're aiming for, and how do we get there? And music has just always been central to that for us. We have a saying at Sanctuary, which is let's start with some singing and we'll end with singing and then there'll be a lot of singing in the middle. So I think some things about the music, uh, Krishma and I are two of the three staff people at Sanctuary. The third person is Mark David Buckles, who's our music director. And I often say that he's just brilliant at making pop music feel like hymns and making hymns sound like pop music. He's brilliant at arranging hymns and pop music and bringing them together and fitting them to the musicians in the room. We have a cellist and a violinist and a couple of singers, a mandolin player that all volunteer and are part of our worship music team and the band. And so, yeah, part of it is weaving music throughout. We begin with 15 minutes of music, which is something I just, I think every congregation should do. And we kind of weave it throughout the service. And Mark David is really brilliant at picking songs that fit the theme of the service just right. It's very participatory. We invite everyone to sing along for everything all the time. It's never a performance. And I think that's the real central piece of it that feels different than a lot of Sunday morning congregations. Yeah, and I think that's just a big part of what gives Sanctuary Boston a different feel.
2: What about you, Carrie? How did that land with you when you first started being involved with Sanctuary Boston?
4: Well, actually, I think it's funny that Matt was mentioning. We are two-thirds of the staff members of Sanctuary Boston, and I know Matt actually is a musician. I don't know if I... I guess I'm a musician somebody recently reached out to ask if I'd be a guest musician for a Sunday service and I was like whoa 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 like I'm not a musician I play a little bit of guitar I sing because I'm not scared of messing up and somebody has to start singing for everyone else to sing like that's kind of my vibe here but there is something about sanctuary you come in and you're singing and it doesn't matter if You have like terrible pitch, or you try a harmony and it doesn't quite work out. That's why Zoom has been actually great because I am just really experimenting with all the harmonies I can alone in my dorm room. But there is that sense that the music isn't separate from the worship, the music is a very central part of the worship. And I think I've created a lot of worship services, and the best ones are always when. The music isn't an afterthought or something that you can kind of just like plug into the service, but when it's a very intentional part of what we're creating. And I've always felt that was sanctuary and really try to embody it in my own worship creation and leading.
1: Thank you, Karishma. One of the things that Matt, you were saying that I wanted to kind of come back to is what is a hymn? right so i think that we have this idea that it's a hymn because it's in the hymnal but we forget that there's a whole process that went through to get all of those things that we call sacred music in that book but that sacred music extends beyond that right so i'm just wondering if you can speak a little bit about what is sacred i think that we have principles that allow us to expand beyond What's traditionally seen as sacred. So, I'm wondering how Sanctuary Church renames and reclaims what is sacred and what becomes holy, even if it's not in a designated book that's always been conferred as holy.
0: That's a good question. (laughs) I think there's a larger cultural framework that a lot of the evangelical or non denominational churches approach the wider culture, which is not we're trying to do something totally different, but like, what is speaking to people? And what of that fits our message and fits our values? So if there's a song on the radio, that's one of our, my favorite sanctuary songs we do is Brave by Sarah Borellis. Beautiful, beautiful, message, song. <laughs> beautiful song, beautiful message. Now, I don't know very much pop music. Most of what I know of pop music, I learned from the sanctuary band, <laughs> but beautiful message, beautiful song. And because it's on the radio or because it's at the top of the charts, isn't a reason to ignore it. I think part of my own journey to figure out how to do meaningful worship is to look at other denominations, look at other styles of worship and look at pop music or even other cultural settings and say, what here is speaking to people? And how do we do that in our context in a way that's authentic? so we'll sing that song by Sarah Bareilles, but we don't have a fog machine in our worship. Now, some churches do that, but that's not us. We have candlelight, right? We don't have stage lights, we have candlelight and a chalice. And to me, that's kind of what we should be looking for is what is speaking to people and what of that fits our value. When I have visited the synagogues, my goal is not to recreate Hebrew prayer because that's not my own tradition, but I am always looking at how are they engaging with their congregation? What are they doing different? Why does this feel different? And What are the pieces that make it feel different that we could do? What would that look like to do that in our own context? So whether that's a pop concert or visiting a synagogue or some other denomination, that's something I'm always wondering about.
1: And I think you're absolutely right that we have an opportunity to be observers of other cultures and other experiences and not cherry pick, but respectfully incorporate them in. And so I honor all of that. And I want to speak to renaming the holy, I guess is what I was trying to speak to that if Sarah Bareilles' song has saved your life. If hearing those lyrics and that beat has been something that's made you get off the floor, get in the shower for the first time in the week and comb your hair and face the world, then it becomes a hymn. It is your hymn, it is your song. It is something that holds you up in a spiritual way. And I think when we decide that's not holy because it's not in the book or that's not sacred because it was written by Toni Morrison and not by Mark Twain, I think that we create this bifurcation or we create this space where only I'm going to say something tender. I always say something tender when I'm on the screen. When we only uphold things that are centered around whiteness and ways of knowing and ways of holy and sacred that are white, we miss a whole other set of connection and a whole other way of being when I think about the way that music is used, particularly in black community and black Christian community, it is a force. It is a whole world. There is songs that my grandmother could play right now and I would start scrubbing and cleaning. There is a cultural connotation that comes with those songs that are are sacred, right? When I am in a room full of Black folks or people of color and we start singing the song, and I might not tell you the song, but I bet somebody right now is humming it. Because when we sing that song, I know who I'm with and I know whose I am in that moment before the first notice even hit. So I want to say, I love that you all are using music and I love that it's an opportunity to recreate the sacred, to recreate what we know of spirit in a different way that is meaningful, that is purposeful and relevant to the folks who need to hear that hymn now. I'm loving Reclaiming the Sacred, and I'm loving Reclaiming Music as a sacred space for me. So you're hearing some of that too.
2: (laughs) So Carrie, I'm interested to hear from your perspective as the campus ministry coordinator, how does that relate to being able to draw in young adults? Are they worried about coming into church and hearing? Kind of dusty old hymns, or is it something where you can be like, yeah, come on in, because you're going to hear something that you're going to really be able to connect
4: with? Absolutely, I think that's probably what makes my job so fulfilling and pretty successful. I would say I've only been in this position since August, but we've had a tremendous amount of success this year because we get to bring students and young adults into something that I truly believe is so special and is something that I want to bring people. People too. So, I just have to get people to show up. I don't also have to create the thing because Sanctuary already has such amazing worship services, and people want to be a part of them. We've already gotten students who just started college this last semester and are getting involved in small groups and gatherings and worship leading and and singing groups. And I think that is something that's really special. We had a service in December where we were singing. I believe this is me from The Greatest Showman, and I was sitting with a bunch of different college students and they started playing it and they all just got so excited. They turned around and they're like, oh my gosh, we know this song. And I think that's one of my favorite parts at Sanctuary is no matter if you've been going there for several years or if it's your first time, there's a pretty good chance that you're either not gonna know one of the songs that's being played or you are gonna know a song. And I think that
2: kind of variety and excitement is definitely what brings people in and keeps them there. Absolutely. And just to be clear, no shade on the dusty old hymns. We get to know (laughs) the dusty old hymns after we come in, or maybe we were brought up with some of those. And they are meaningful to a lot of us as well. Um, But I know that when we're talking about young adults, particularly newcomer young adults, not cradle UUs, being able to offer something in terms of music that is relevant to their current everyday life is really meaningful. And so just to have a um, congregation that doesn't just pay lip service to understanding that, but then actually acts on it is is pretty amazing. And so that was one of the other questions I had. Are y'all meeting in person? Can people do this via Zoom? Like how can people get involved in a Sanctuary of Boston community?
0: Yeah, all of our, like everybody, we went fully online in March of 2020. This year we've been doing... Except for January, we'll see about Omicron, but mostly we've been recently doing first Wednesdays of the month are fully online and third Wednesdays of the month are hybrid in person and online. We've really put a lot of thought into how to do hybrid services in a way that fits the participation and the circling up feeling that we have of our online services. And we put a lot of thought into the online services to have that feel replicated from fully in-person services so when we're online we're on zoom we invite people to use gallery views that they're really looking at like the whole community we invite really active participation in the chat so people are just constantly in conversation shouting amen or saying hi to someone they haven't seen or welcoming a newcomer like i said we have a dozen or so worship leaders for every service and that's still true online so we you know, definitely invite folks to join us for worship at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time, every first, third, and fifth Wednesday. And also our small groups and other programs have gone online as well. And small groups in particular, we found out there's just way more participation online than we ever had in person. We have a lot more people joining us for worship online as well, more than we ever had in person, but small groups in particular have, have worked really well for online. So will continue to be online for both worship and small groups indefinitely.
4: Yeah and I have to say for college students it is amazing to have these opportunities online. I remember my first year when I was at Wellesley and I was so sad to go home for winter break in December because that meant I didn't get to go to sanctuary for a month and this last winter break I just got back home from Oregon and You know, it was at 3.30 Pacific time, which was a little bit earlier, but I still got to go to every service and it was so wonderful. And with things like the small groups or even going into Boston, I'm in the suburbs, so it's not the easiest thing to get into Boston. I have to take a bus, it's this whole thing. And I would do it for sanctuary, especially because it was every other week. But now being online, having those opportunities, if I just don't have the time to book out like a whole afternoon to go into the city, I can just log on and see all my people and feel spiritually fulfilled but it's been great to have some in-person opportunities to get to know other college students in the area especially as we have a lot of first years who are just getting into the city we've been doing some exploring so I've really loved actually been being able to have things both in person and virtual.
3: I have a question if I can and I'm thinking about like a zillion years ago when I was a college student for the first time and I'm wondering what college students are seeking that brings them to Sanctuary Boston. What is it that young people are seeking? Because, and I know my experience is limited coming out of the Irish Catholic thing where I went off to college and the last thing I wanted to do was go to mass, right? There was way too much alcohol to be had and that was my priority at the time. So I'm wondering what is it that young people are seeking that brings them to sanctuary and keeps them there?
4: Now that's a great question. I think it's been really incredible to see the different students that have showed up at our services and gotten involved because we really have such a range. We have students who grew up UU maybe around the Boston area. We have one student, Emma, she grew up UU in Ashland, Massachusetts. And I was going to Berkeley for Berkeley College of Music for school and had a few connections, had known Matt from some things and wanted to find a community and stay connected to worship services and music and all of that. So obviously we have some people who are raised UU who are trying to find a community that was giving them as much spiritual fulfillment as their home congregation. And that was kind of where I was approaching it from too, as I was church shopping around the Boston area. We also have students from outside of the Boston area, in North Carolina, in Florida, in Washington, in New Jersey, all over, who are just looking for a place to be in community with people who have the same values, but are on maybe on very different paths, I think a lot of the things that young adults are looking for, that sense of belonging and home are the same things that most people who are going into UU congregations are looking for. And it's, I think, combined with the fact that we have this vibrant worship style and there's participation and it just immediately when you step in the door or log in onto the zoom, it feels like home. That's what a lot of people are missing, especially in times of COVID, I mean, I've been at college the last few years, and it's been really isolating. We've had a lot of different restrictions on socializing and just being around people and finding a place like Sanctuary outside of that has been what's been keeping me grounded these past few years.
3: Okay. My other question, and this might be more for Matt, is knowing the challenges that I and my staff had with going to Zoom with licensing i'm wondering what happened because i know your music selection it is far beyond the two standard church licensing sort of packages that we get how are you handling licensing and all that kind of stuff once you went online
0: I would say our handling is all right, and there's room for improvement, to be honest. Okay. We also got a streaming license, and that covers basically everyone who's ever gotten a record deal. Oh, that's cool. One of the big ones. Um, And so that covers a lot of the pop music. We also do a lot of original music. Last night, our violinist, Alex Pham, did one of her original songs. The service was about trees, and she has a song called Like a Tree it's just okay. perfect so yeah there's a number of original music a number of things in the public domain and also we are increasingly budgeting for and trying to build out some capacity to do some more of the work that is work to contact other musicians and say you want to use your song in this way is there some compensation or they can send you a donation and that kind of thing so we do it very well in some ways and there's other ways where we're still trying to to figure it out
3: One other thing, I remember when my brick-and-mortar congregation went to Zoom and we had a really steep learning curve when it came to music, in that live music on Zoom sounded like it was underwater at the bottom of a trash can, sort of. And I'm wondering, knowing how interactive and lively and personal the music experience is... How did you manage to bring that through Zoom? I imagine you had to do some pre-recorded stuff. So I'm wondering how you made that yeah. translation.
0: We decided early that the feel we were going for of community singing in the before times we put a lot of thought into how do we invite people into it? You know, let's sing the first verse and then pause and then invite people to sing the first verse again so they will've heard of it like this point in the song, let's do a little instrumental period and talk to them and then do the whole thing again. And so we really put a similar thought and asked similar questions when we went online. And we actually decided pretty early to not do almost any recorded music for our services. And Mark, David, and I both thought this makes the quality a little worse, but it makes the feel a lot better. And that's what has worked well for us. I know that other churches have done a whole variety of things, but you know, for us, we really found having one person sit and look at you and sing it to you, sing the song to you live and all its imperfections is just gotten us in the heart, even if the quality is not ideal. And we also did a lot of rehearsing to say, all right, if I put the microphone here, they not there. Here's some money for a better microphone. Let's make sure like everybody is plugged in and wired to the routers and let's do a number of other things we took our time figuring out the music settings and because we were so thoughtful about that and mark david was so thoughtful about it when i was visiting churches on sunday mornings i was often the person saying all right have you heard of this thing called original sound all right now okay click this button click this change that setting change this here's the three buttons you gotta switch on your zoom and when zoom changed we changed but yeah that has been a part of the vibe of it and it has been really it's a very different vibe to have one person at a time. Instead of the whole band up there, all five of us leading the songs, each person of the band now leads a song at each service. Or sometimes we'll get in little trios. So yeah, it's been just one way that we've tried to figure out how to capture that. And the sound quality has worked well enough.
4: I will say, I think that is one of the big things about Sanctuary Boston and music in all forms is we really prioritize participation and community over performance. And so, like I said, I'm really not a musician. I don't necessarily do much of that, but I've done a lot of music with Sanctuary Boston. I've sung, I've played guitar, I think. I don't have any training, professional training in music at all in any form. But, you know, it's it's one of those places where you go to a couple services and you're like, well, I think I could do this. I can lead a chalice lighting I can lead a song. We have people singing just with whatever setup they have. And it makes it so we have so many people involved in our services that like it shows you that there are so many different ways to be involved and be a person who is respected and honored. And I think that Sanctuary is a great model of that. There are people from all different types of professional backgrounds and non-professional backgrounds, and everyone's just singing and having a good time. I think this is really embodied in our words of welcome that we say every time we gather because at the end of the words of welcome, when we're in person, we all say, all together as a community, we welcome you. And it's pretty hard on Zoom to have multiple people talking at the same time, but we generally have two or three people leading the words of welcome. And when it gets to the we welcome you, all three of them unmute and say we welcome you And it is not simultaneous, and sometimes the audio of one person comes through, or it's just very silly, but I think that's what really embodies this community is, you know, you are welcome, even if your fire alarm goes off in the middle of your reflection, which has happened, or if you accidentally get muted by somebody else, like, we prioritize participation of the performance.
1: That's beautiful. I just want to say that that philosophy and that way of being is very beautiful. And I appreciate that you all infuse that into worship. Yeah,
2: I think you need a bumper sticker, participation over performance, because that is getting to the soul of what worship is. Right. It's supposed to and particularly worship in community is Being able to be together and be imperfect together. The modeling of that is so so wonderful. Being able to model, yeah, let's get together and be imperfect together. Isn't that just particularly now where people are just exhausted? Just being able to come to a place where you can just really be yourself, care about another person, and be imperfect in community. it, It seems like is what we all need right now. Matt?
0: I think that that speaks to the question before of what are, what do younger people or young adults find at Sanctuary? And we offer a webinar called How to Launch an Evening Worship. And I feel like the big secret, the big spoiler alert of that is that it's not the music or the band or nice graphic design or whatever else that brings in young people. It's really the relationships. And I think that's the story that, is invisible underneath everything that we do. So many churches will launch an evening service and they'll have visited sanctuary or some other community and they'll say, oh, wow, there's an electric guitar up there and a band. And I look around, and I see young people, so let's go get the band and then the young people will come. It's this, if you build it, they will come attitude. And, um, what you don't see is that that's not how it started, that our planning team, meant for six months before we ever had to worship. And a lot of church plans. people meet for years before they have their first service. They meet in small groups and in homes and build the relationships first. And I think that's what's so great about the work that Krishma is doing is reaching out. There are 45 colleges in the Boston area. And Kirshma is reaching out to them one at a time, building those connections, finding you use one at a time, talking with one person about how to find the next person, how to invite them, making those really personal invitations. So we do some advertising online, but like all churches, most of the people show up, not necessarily because they heard the music is great or because they saw an ad online, but because a person who they trusted invited them and said, I think you would like this. So I think that's part of what has worked well for us in general, and also part of what's so great about the outreach and community building that Kirshman is doing
2: which is a perfect segue into what is the outreach and community building that you're doing with this new position, Carrie? It's very exciting to have campus ministry and have a a congregation be excited about that.
4: Yeah, I have to say since I started in August, this really has been my dream job. The 10 hours a week position, which is perfect for a busy college student like me. And I also run Wellesley College's campus ministry group, HeartSpace. Space. Like Matt said, there are a lot of colleges in the Boston area, and it's a little overwhelming to reach out to all of them. I have a very big spreadsheet with everything, and I've reached out to maybe 20 of them so far, some of the bigger ones, and we've been kind of approaching it from multiple angles. So reaching out to offices of religious life at these different places, getting those connections. We just secured an affiliate chaplain position at Brandeis, which is very exciting. So we get a little bit more resources and connections with those students and also reach out to students at those colleges and seeing where are the students? Because I think one of the things that both excites and infuriates me about UU campus ministry is that I know that there are UU college students and UU emerging adults out there, especially in Boston. I'm one of them. I've met so many others by like flashing my chalice tattoo or talking about Unitarian Universalism, they just kind of pop out. And so a lot of this job this fall and this year has been about just finding them. So we've been trying a lot of different methods. We have a campus ministry interest form that people can fill out and I'll get in touch with them. I've had a lot of very fun coffee dates with students, just getting to know them at Harvard, Berkeley, BU, Leslie, so many options. And I think that has that outreach. And just like Matt was saying, bringing students together. It's very lonely sometimes being a UU in college because there's not a ton at each school. But the great thing about Boston is with so many schools, we're able to bring all of us together and have a little bit of a larger community. And the connections that I've seen form in this past semester alone has been really incredible to see. We have pizza parties, we went and walked around the Boston Common and looked at the lights. We're planning a trip to the Museum of Fine Arts. So we have virtual social hours where people who aren't in the Boston area also join us. And people are really craving those connections first
1: and foremost. Carrie, in the same vein, if you could give like two tips to the rest of the world around how to cultivate community in our digital age and in the age of COVID, what are two big hints that you could offer the rest of us? We don't want to be sanctuary. We want you all to be sanctuary. But if we can appropriately take a little bit of your goodness and share it at home, how could we?
4: I think this is a larger piece of advice for anybody who is Like cultivating community, especially with young adults, is realizing that we are fully formed people with very deep thoughts and spiritual practices and theological beliefs, or are exploring those things. And I was just talking with some of my friends about the difference between an an icebreaker question and one of those deeper questions. And icebreaker questions have time and place. It's great to know what your favorite day of the week is or your favorite ice cream topping. But I have found that my most profound conversations and relationships have been sitting down with somebody my age and really launching into a conversation about like, so what do you believe in like, be a God or death or any of those things and having those deep conversations and trusting that we can all be in community and conversation together. And I think that that extends to people of all ages when I'm treated and respected like a real human being with fully formed thoughts of my own instead of just so what are you majoring in what do you want to do after college that's a really good place to
2: start amen Mm. so we are coming towards the top of our hour and i want to make sure that we give opportunity to the two of you to say anything about sanctuary boston that we haven't covered in our time together because you all would know more than we so is there anything that you want us all to know
0: I think one of the special things about Sanctuary Boston, one of the visible things of it is that it is an experiment in a different kind of Unitarian Universalist worship style. But I appreciate also that it's an experiment in some other ways. And I think one of those is going out beyond the walls of a single church to be in conversation and in partnership with other congregations. Um, From the very beginning, we're hosted by two churches. And so in the before times, We'd be once a month at each location, kind of moving back and forth. Each of those churches has supported us with custodial hours and financial support at different times, at different years. The EU funding program in the UA and the region have all supported us in different ways. And in the last few years, we've had about 10 churches each year share the plate with us to support the work we're doing. And... particularly in New England, I think this is the case that our congregations don't always reach out and talk with each other and partner with each other. But that's part of my hope for this campus ministry program in particular is that we're really challenging congregations to, to do something that none of us can do on our own. I used to be frustrated in particular with churches for not doing more for campus ministry. But the more I did it, the more I realized how hard it was to do that If there's only six UUs on a campus and only three of them can make it to a given meeting, it's hard to have a really vibrant worship with only three people. So we need staff funding and staff positions for campus ministry, but uh, very few churches can fund a 10-hour week position for a campus. Even if they should, that's hard for a lot of churches. So in Boston, we're really reaching out to the congregations in the area and saying, Will you share the plate with us for this program? Will you put this program in your budget? Will you invite your youth group to visit us for worship? And so they'll keep us in mind if they go to college in the area. Will you invite your worship team to come to our service and get ideas? And really asking the churches to work together to do something that none of us could do on our own. Sanctuary can't do this campus ministry just on our own. We passed a deficit budget and along with grant funding and other things to create this position, but um, it's only gonna be sustainable if the congregations collaborate and work together to fund it and to support it in all different kinds of ways. So that's part of the challenge. That's part of the question we're asking and we haven't answered yet. If we can work together outside of our own siloed congregations enough to make campus ministry happen for the long haul.
2: Yeah, and I mean, not for nothing that is exactly what's supposed to happen in our covenantal faith, right? That is actually congregational polity. Folks think that congregational polity means that we work, our congregations can do whatever they want. And actually, congregational polity, the idea behind congregational polity is that our congregations are supporting each other in order to support Unitarian Universalism. So beautiful thing to have you all model this. Carrie?
4: Yeah, I just a few quick things for everyone listening. If you know or love a youth or young adult or are one, the best ways to get involved, reach out to them, see where they're heading in the next few years, whatever they're up to, find those connections. Something that's really great that we've started that the UUA has started is on the congregational survey. There's now an optional question at the end asking how many youth are bridging just to kind of get a gauge of where people are going in the country and where people are, because that's one of the hardest parts is just finding everybody. And please, if anyone's heading to Boston, we're so happy to have you. And of course, we are doing lots of virtual things as well. And I'd love to be in touch.
2: Well, thank you all so much for being here and telling us more about Sanctuary Boston and everyone out there in the world. If you haven't experienced Sanctuary Boston, please do. It is One of my favorite things when I was on the UUA Board of Trustees was being able to be at Sanctuary Boston and now to be able to experience it virtually. I highly recommend that folks check it out, see how you can support, see how you can uh, wield your congregational polity in a way that our covenantal faith was actually intended by supporting this fantastic group. We are at the top of our hour. We're so happy that you all joined us today. We will be back same time, same place next week with more guests. And until then, be blessed.
3: Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that our ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit clfuu.org podcast for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, please make sure to subscribe, to rate it, and to review it so that others can find us. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.